Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Form3.tech podcast. My name is Adelina Simeon and I'm a technology evangelist at Form3. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Evelina Vrabia from Hopin. How's it going today, Evelina? Hi, Adelina. It's going well, thank you. So you have a lot of experience as an engineering leader. Can you tell us a little bit about the role and responsibilities of an engineering manager? Sure. Um, hello, everyone. Um, I'm Evelina. I'm a senior engineering leader with over 15 years of experience. I have a, both a computer science, a management and entrepreneurial background. Um, and I guess for today's episode, um, before I deep dive into it, my most relevant experience is that many years ago um, I studied a master degree in which I explored the use of artificial intelligence in work therapy for high performance environments. Uh, my goal back then was to create a performance development platform to help employees develop their skills, uh, their performance and their ability to manage well-being and burnout. Uh, instead, I co-founded a fintech with a mission to improve personal finances, but that's not a story. Um, so lately, I've been managing teams in Hopin, which is a hybrid events uh, platform startup. Um, and just to make sure I cross all the T's, uh, everything I'll be saying here are my own views uh, and don't necessarily reflect the views of my company. So uh, thank you for inviting me and I, I hope to share a few interesting thoughts. Um, especially about the role of uh, an engineering manager and a leader in, in, in the first place. So my view is that um, as technical leaders, we bring our unique, unique perspectives on technology um, to help the strategic execution of our company. And in practice, that means many things. Um, we can find a way to calibrate product, business and technical strategies. We help generate new ideas and innovate, uh, most often not by inventing new things, just by combining existing technologies to obtain a new result. And most importantly, our job is about making trade-offs and creating a, a balanced portfolio of product, or feature work, and the so-called technical debt. Uh, but that's for, <laughs> for later. Um, but in order to do this, we, have to develop the ability to understand and shape um, a particular function in a company or even multiple functions. For example, in a small startup that could be spanning across product, marketing, technology and finance. If it's a larger company, then our roles become a bit more specialized, um, but we still need to understand the other functions as well. And this is where things get really tricky for, for most of us uh, technology leaders because uh, there are multiple things that we need to take into account when we um, you know, look at our teams and, and try to measure their success and, and things that we need to understand as technology leaders and most of them are not even in the technology domain. Awesome, it's a really exciting topic. So um, today I'd like to focus on discussing, defining and measuring the success of engineering teams. Can you tell us about how you might define the success of companies and teams? Yes, that's uh, a few things about success uh, before, before we start uh, breaking it down. What I believe is that when we talk about the success of an individual or a team, 
we need to start with where they are, their context, their organization. And by that, I mean understanding the company goals and the strategies and understanding the fact that they will be different at different times. Uh, and another thing about success is that there are almost always multiple successful paths or strategies. And the difference between them is that each comes at a different cost. And lastly, um, I believe that just like in a complex distributed software system uh, that is never fully healthy, nor is an organization fully successful at all times because success is variable. And especially in technology startups, uh, we don't call them roller coaster for, for nothing. So with that in mind, there are multiple things, multiple types of, of success that come into, into play. Um, I, can list, I can list at least four types of success that I'm aware and I had to deal with as a technology leader. One is commercial success. That means that the company is generating enough revenue and profit to justify investment and growth. Then you have product success. It means that the company is offering products and services without which customers would be truly unhappy. And then you have the software delivery success. And here is where most of the engineering metrics are rooted into. And this means that the company delivers these products and services as effectively as possible, minimizing waste. And then perhaps the most underrated type of success is cultural or organizational success, which means that the company offers a workplace where employees feel they belong to and they mostly work on exciting, challenging and, and rewarding work. And all of these types of successes and outcomes require a leader to understand and employ different types of metrics. It's interesting what you said about startups because at Form 3 as well, we've seen the company mature and for us changing our goals and what we're working towards. And in particular now, we're using OKRs to define the strategy of the company and help our teams work towards a common aligned goal. As an engineering leader, how can you measure the success and productivity of your team? So, like I said, there are multiple types of success. Uh, we can start um, with understanding what does the company need to do, right? Probably they need to add features, grow users, expand to new markets. And then we need to identify the outcomes that we want to measure, right? We can ask ourselves, what customer problem do we want to solve? How do we know that our customers are receiving enough value from the product? And how do we know that customers uh, will choose our product over competitors, right? And then once we identify these use cases uh, and the uh, outcomes uh, we, that matter to the most, uh, we can put them in, uh, in a, a framework like OKRs, right? Choose a series of objectives, create a series of key results and initiatives to deliver those objectives, and then choose the set of metrics to, to measure progress towards those key results, right? So let's get an example of a a type of product success, right? Let's say we have the problem to solve. How do we acquire new customers or users for the product? That's a product acquisition strategy. So we need to understand, even as technology leaders, things that are outside technologies, like, for example, a marketing funnel, right? From awareness to consideration to conversion to loyalty. We need to understand 
different types of product growth. Um, we need to then apply technology to understand where we can help in this acquisition strategy. For example, we can remove friction in the sign-up process, right? With pre-filling or auto-filling forms, referral bonuses, image recognition to verify user IDs and, and all sorts of um, technologies that we can use. Or we can improve the quality of users, right? We can use machine learning to, to qualify leads for sales outreach and so on and so forth. Uh, and then we can look at metrics, right? Famous product metrics that we can apply in, in a context like that. We can look at customer acquisition cost, we can uh, look at customer churn rate, daily active users, customer satisfaction, and a lot more, right? So this is how we would break it down. Um, and this is one type of success we need to, to consider. And our teams are obviously heavily involved in that as well. Um, and we need to talk uh, about these types of metrics uh, and make them uh, very uh, well understood to the teams as well. Um, to, to show them where they actually contribute value in what they're doing, right? And then, of course, we have the biggest part of a technology leader is the software delivery success and how we measure that. So that's like a huge part uh, I, could, I could go into. You're absolutely right. Engineering teams never exist in a vacuum and you always need to consider the business concerns when you're thinking about how to run your team and organize their work. Yeah, exactly. And once we understand that, uh, the delivery success, it's one of the two key areas um, in which high performance technology companies invest. And the other one is, like I said, the underrated one, the organizational performance. And there is a considerable pool of new research into this, um, driven particularly by the folks who wrote uh, Accelerate, the science of lean software and DevOps. And their book is all about scaling high-performing uh, technology organization. And this is actually a subject I also studied during my master's degree, uh, how to build high-impact technology ventures. And the main idea behind all this research is that we shouldn't even start with measuring in mind as a goal. Instead, we need to ensure that uh, the company has in place at least a dozen key capabilities that are proven to increase both delivery and organizational performance. So let me give you some examples. Um, the most common ones are continuous delivery capabilities, right? Continuous integration versus uh, version control, automated uh, deployment process, test automation, uh, and so on. Then we have architectural capabilities, right? We need a loosely coupled architecture. We need to test and deploy on demand without requiring too much orchestration from multiple teams. We need to have empowered teams, uh, mean, meaning that we allow them to choose their own tools and languages but making sure they all adhere to certain global guidelines because otherwise we would go into entropy and chaos. Um, and then we have product and process capabilities. Uh, so things like continuously gathering customer feedback, um, ensuring that teams have a good visibility and a good understanding into the flow of work and the value they deliver, like I said previously including the, the status of products and features in other teams. Uh, for example, working in small batches, right? Decomposing features 
to allow rapid development, uh, short, short lead times and, and fast uh, feedback loops, um, enabling a team experimentation, right? ensuring that the teams have enough slack to innovate, uh, limiting work in progress, making constraints visible to the business. And, and then you have the last, um, the last group of capabilities is about lean management and monitoring. And this uh, includes things like um, lightweight change approval process, uh, monitoring across the application and infrastructure uh, to inform business decisions and encouraging um, code reviews between teams and so on and so forth. So once we have these in place, then we can start choosing the metrics that we care about. So for example, it could be process metrics, like, like I mentioned, part of the product and process capabilities. We can look at things like uh, amount of working progress and the age of working progress, right? We can look at lead time, right? Which is the time uh, from discovery to delivery in, in a customer development cycle. We can look at cycle time, which is the time from when the actual engineering work starts until it's complete. But we have to be very careful with these metrics because, for example, lead time and cycle time are not very useful diagnostic metrics per se, because what we really want to understand is blocked time. And we need to break these down even further. So for example, we can break them into the time to code review, time to pull merge, uh, to pull request merge, uh, throughput, uh, and so on and so forth. And yeah, perhaps if we go deeper and more specialized, for example, we're getting into DevOps performance, right? And the DORA metrics, which are famous. So we can look into deployment frequency to production. We can look at lead time to changes, um, change failure rate, mean time to recover and, and so on and so forth. But I think no matter how many metrics we, we know and we employ, the most important thing um, is that blockages are not just caused by code, they're caused by people. <laughs> so there are so many anti-patterns and, and common pitfalls uh, when, we, when we employ these metrics that, yeah, it, it's a topic in itself. When you're measuring developer productivity, are there any metrics that we should just absolutely avoid in trying to use? <laughs> um, it's not the metrics per se, um, I guess, to, to put it uh, in, in a different way, one of my friends uh, recently published a, a really good article on her blog titled uh, When Incentives Fail, a story about rats, cobras, nails and atrocities. I really recommend it. It has many examples from human history of the good hard law. Uh, when, you, when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. Um, and she also says it, uh, that when measures are set from an ivory tower, people often gamify the rules to reach that specific objective. So I think this paragraph mentions at least three types of problems or anti-patterns with, with metrics. One is to have metrics for the sake of metrics. Uh, the other one is to have metrics imposed externally. And the third one is to have metrics that are linked to the wrong incentives. In some ways, actually figuring out organizational patterns is more difficult than solving technical solutions. 
So is there anything as leaders that you sh- we should avoid doing, um, linking back to your anti-patterns comment? Um, yes. So like I said, high performance comes in two flavors, is software delivery performance and organizational or cultural performance. And what research shows is that a successful company achieves and exceeds both. But in reality, the numbers show that less than half of all startups achieve both types of performance. And then the question we ask ourselves is, why is that? And the clue is in the space framework headline, uh, which was created by by the same people behind Accelerate. Um, And the headline is, there is more to it than you think. And I really like that because it's so true. Most technology leaders uh, with perhaps limited exposure to research only emphasize activity metrics and entirely disregard half of the performance metrics, which are people metrics. Like I said, blockages are not caused only by code, but they're caused by people. And we we need to understand the risks of not um, looking at these two types of performance, right? The, li- the risk of um, lack of delivery performance obviously is uh, market share and profitability loss. But the like, lack of organizational performance also is important because it leads to uh, loss of productivity, it leads to burnout and, and attrition. So we need to consider both of them if we really want to see an impact on, on uh, performance. And the, the interesting bit is how do you phrase uh, high performance? The way I phrase it is work satisfaction multiplied with intrinsic motivation. <laughs> and there's an analogy I always use to explain this. Um, if you can imagine an athlete that jumps on a trampoline or, or runs up a ramp, they could jump from standing still, but they won't go very high. And similarly, if the ramp is there, but they don't run of it, or, or they don't run on it, they won't build enough momentum to propel themselves very high in the air, right? So in my analogy, the athlete is the performer, uh, the ramp is the, the satisfaction at work, and running on that ramp to build momentum is their intrinsic motivation. And this analogy works for both individuals and teams. So then what can we do as uh, technology leaders? Where first, uh, the first key factor is to create workplace satisfaction. We can do that through uh, having meaningful, exciting work, um, psychological safety to let teams learn and fail, uh, provide good and specific feedback, provide recognition and reward, and so on and so forth. Um, and the second one, uh, which is interesting motivation, is by far the hardest of the two because the only thing we can do is coach other people to increase their own motivation. Um, and to know more about the motivation means to look again well beyond technology into psychology, into theories like uh, the cognitive evaluation theory, the self-determination theory, and yeah, definitely not many technology leaders have perhaps an inclination to to dig into these things. Yeah, nobody wants to work in a hugely profitable company that's horrible to work at. So of course, like the people part of the of a business is very very important. 
Uh, when it comes to team motivation and morale, is there any way that we can measure these? Um, that's a very interesting problem. Um, the truth, uh, in my opinion, is that we lack good metrics for this. Um, we work in an industry that uh, celebrates phrases like, uh, you know, as a technology leader, I scaled the engineering team from zero to 500 in less than a year. That's a fantastic achievement, but it's not enough to measure the effectiveness of, of that leader, right? It doesn't tell us, for example, how many of those engineers are still happily employed, how many have left disgruntled, perhaps, right? Um, and that's because we, we tend to interpret happiness as a soft metric, and that's completely wrong. Happiness at work is directly translatable to revenue. Um, because software is not written by machines, it's still written by humans, right? And happy people are well motivated to consistently deliver a good product. The customers of the product love it and pay for it, and the company becomes profitable, right? So what we usually tend to forget is the, the last step, which is we need to invest back in keeping people happy. Uh, and it's not a win-lose game, it's a win-win game. So, um, that's why I like, for example, to read research. Uh, and one of it is, I mentioned the space framework um, because it makes it clear that we should care and measure invisible work as well. So aside from all the activity metrics I mentioned before, we need to look at communication and collaboration and satisfaction and well-being as part of those uh, things that we constantly look at. So. Why do I call this invisible work and why it doesn't tend to, to be measured? Because it's a bit of a paradox. Uh, the better this work is done, the less visible it is to those who benefit from it. Uh, but when it's not done properly, it becomes a job in itself, right? So it means that we need to learn to communicate timely, accurately, uh, succinctly and targeted. And this is not an art is a science and becomes uh, crucial, crucially important in these new fully remote workplaces. And it still surprises me that very few companies invest in communication training, especially for technology folks, right? For technology companies. We have a wide array of courses on everything from feedback to performance review, reviews, but we do not have training on remote and asynchronous communication, for example, like meeting preparations and facilitation. And this has to change if companies truly want to increase their productivity, right? They, they need to stop devaluing this kind of invisible work and train everyone from ICs to leaders on how to, how to properly communicate and collaborate. It's really interesting that you brought up the changes of going remote. Um, I think a lot of companies just left the office and went home and continued to work in the same way. <laughs> Are there any anti-patterns that you we should avoid when measuring team motivation um, and morale? Yes, I, I mentioned three types of anti-patterns and perhaps I can go a little bit more in depth and give some examples. Um, so I said about metrics for the sake of metrics. What I mean by that is that metrics are as good as what we do with them. Everything I said so far about understanding the company context at a particular point in time, uh, strategies, goals, how success fluctuates, 
uh, how technology is a, is a bigger system uh, of functions in the company. And all of that should make it very clear that feature quantity and speed of delivery alone rarely lead to commercial success. And definitely our goal as technology leaders is not to set metrics, right? The metrics are just indicators about trends and direction. But the other part that I mentioned, those key capabilities that we need to put in place before metrics, that's the most difficult one to, to get right. Um, the second thing I mentioned is metrics being imposed externally. And the obvious answer to this anti-pattern is for metrics to be proposed by the very people who are closest to solving problems. And the reason they should choose uh, to, to employ metrics to help themselves is twofold. One is to find and eliminate bottlenecks that could slow them down. And then the second one is uh, identifying and preventing risks before they happen. Um, and these two things, bottlenecks and risks, is what I think technical debt is all about. Uh, but let me first say that there is no such thing as technical debt. Uh, and phrasing it like this just diminishes our own understanding of the impact of this work. But technical debt is in fact scale work and risk work. And, and there are some very important pitfalls here that everyone encounters. Um, the fundamental factor behind this type of work is user impact, right? And neglecting this type of work uh, slowly deteriorates the user experience. But the biggest issue is that this is a Goldilocks problem, prioritizing this sort of work. Because if we do it too early, we lose the capacity to do product work that wins the market share. If we do it too late, it could be it could be the winning strategy in the short term, but then when performance starts to degrade, competitors catch up and again we lose the hard gain market share. So we need to find the just right moment where we maximize the business value and, and lower the downsides. Um, there's too much to say about prioritizing scale and risk works work properly, but in the interest of time, uh, I could say that it's it has at least three steps, right? We need to identify the use cases, like the outcomes that matter the, the most. Um, we need to identify the, uh, the right outcomes and how, uh, how does uh, this type of work compare with other types of work, like product work. And then we need to set some really reasonable thresholds for that particular moment in time. And, and definitely I have wrote uh, a lot about things like using SLIs, SLOs, SLAs and error budgets as a way of negotiating this kind of work between product and engineering. So I can, I can provide uh, a link to that. Um, and the last thing, which is perhaps the most important and interesting for me is metrics linked to the wrong incentives. Um, and uh, we need to look into what motivates people. And like I mentioned before, this is not the domain of technology, this is the domain of psychology. So for example, I know at least two theories that are relevant here. One is the cognitive evaluation theory, um, which looks into how feedback and rewards can increase or decrease intrinsic motivation. And the truth is that 
manipulating and reinforcing good behaviors to harness human capital at scale is the mark of uh, laissez-faire capitalism and it happens everywhere from schools to workplaces entertainment sports um, and a classic example is someone who's encouraged to work really long hours ignoring their family health interest in the name of self-development and perceived success right or perhaps company awards and it's proven that external motivation when it's used as a controlling mechanism it can override all sorts of self-regulatory abilities like we, it disrupts our awareness of choice it desensitizes us to essential human needs uh, and eventually actually undermines intrinsic motivation and results in spectacular burnout and a recent article from uh, Microsoft Research called uh, the Work Trend Index uh, says it as high productivity is, is masking an exhausted workforce so this is really interesting and then the other theory which I, I find interesting is the self-determination theory which assumes that we are naturally inclined to develop ourselves and we like to engage in novel, interesting activities, we like to expand our capabilities um, and the theory argues that um, we nurture these inclinations by experiencing autonomy, uh, competence and relatedness and there are a lot of events that can negatively impact autonomy or competence and they all diminish this intrinsic motivation which is which is really precious um, so i i did mention before that we simply lack good metrics for for this kind of stuff um, but here are a few of my suggestions right um, not only we we can look at you know scaling engineering teams and and profitability and productivity but how much more intrinsic motivation uh, do our employees get after being understood in a vulnerable circumstance for example right they could be system wizards in a good day but not when you know they're all up all night caring for their sick baby or or elderly parent and this matters because like i said intrinsic motivation uh, leads to the highest quality of work and then another way we can look at it how much praise and advocacy uh, do our employees create in the industry and this matters because peer recommendations for example is still the best recruitment strategy um, and then how much more consumer happiness uh, we can get if we have a diverse pool of employees right they generate better features better products and of course leads to happy customers that create positive network effects and recurring revenue that's really really fascinating so to summarize can you, as an engineering manager or leader, can you tell us what we should really care and monitor? Yes. So, like I mentioned, we need to expand our knowledge and our understanding way outside technology in the first place. We need to understand where the technology function sits in a company and how it relates to all of the other functions of the company. And we need to understand those functions as well. Uh, and then we can start uh, combining multiple types of types of successes right commercial success product success software delivery success and organizational or cultural success and then in the context of a particular strategy that a company uh, employs at a particular uh, time uh, we need to uh, find the use cases uh, find um, 
the right outcomes for those use cases and then find the right metrics uh, and use those metrics only as a guide, right? To, like, to, 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 to tell us the trend and the direction that we're moving. We shouldn't make metrics as the main goal. Uh, and, and we should not forget that there are two sides of, of high performance and that is the activity side, uh, the hard metrics, if you want. And then there's as important, the people side, the invisible work, the communication and collaboration um, metrics, which for which we don't really um, have really good solutions today. But this is where we perhaps we need to, to focus and iterate, especially in, in uh, these new remote workplaces. All right, I think that's all we have time for today. This was an amazing episode that's really taught me a lot. Is there anything or anyone you'd like to give a shout out to? Um, yes, I um, have many um, good um, friends and, and inspiration uh, I draw from. So um, I can link a couple of really good blogs that I follow. Uh, I also blog on, on Medium. My blog is uh, Jumpstart and I occasionally publish in CTO Craft, which is a really great community for, for technology leaders and, and I recommend joining it. Absolutely. We'll have those linked in the episode notes and all, as well on the blog post that we'll be publishing. Thanks again for joining us today, Evelina. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you very much for having me. Form 3 are looking to double the size of our Remote First engineering team. If you'd like to help the world move money faster and enjoy working on complex technical challenges using the latest tech, feel free to check out the careers page in the description.